Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. We're here at the Santa Fe Indian Market for the second day in a row. The event is marking its 100th year. Today we'll hear more about the Native arts represented in the city over the past century. We'll also paint an audio picture of some of the art and artists who are here this weekend. There are more than a thousand artists setting up in the plaza and on the streets. And there are 100,000 collectors and others who are here to take it all in. We're live from Santa Fe Indian Market right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Rapid City's Lakota Immersion Program appears to have folded for the coming school year. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's C.J. Keene has more. Rapid City School Board members heard concerns at a Tuesday meeting about whether the district can sustain an existing Lakota Immersion Program. The board took no official vote. However, a lack of qualified teaching candidates for open positions appears to mean an end to the program for now. Nicole Swigart is the interim CEO for Rapid City Area Schools. She says there's two options. If we were going to be able to move forward with the program or if we were going to need to um, shutter it for one year and really work hard to reset and determine where we were falling flat on the recruiting process. Some parents involved with the program disagree. Val Big Eagle is the chair of a local parent advisory committee. I know that there were qualified candidates that applied and, you know, for whatever reason, they're unable to get on. Another member of the parent advisory committee is Amy Sazu. She says there's a lack of trust. I don't know about the new school board, but I do not trust Rapid City administration to do the work that's needed to make this happen again or to sustain it. I do not trust them. I'm happy to see the additions to the school board and hope that they jump in fast and they learn the, the history that this district has had with Title VI with parents with Indigenous people and that they educate themselves on that and why this is important. During the meeting, some, but not all, school board members offered a commitment to keep the district's Lakota immersion program. For National Native News, I'm C.J. Keene. The Southwestern Association for Indian Arts, or SWAYA, is celebrating 100 years of its Santa Fe India market. People from all over the world are traveling to Santa Fe, New Mexico for the event. SWAYA Executive Director Kim Peon looks back at how the market has grown. I can always reflect back to the 60s and 70s when my parents were participating in market and how small the footprint was and intimate it was and you know that's a vast difference from this this event that we put on now it's it's over 650 booths and there's lots of different people and it really is a, a big event and so um, you have to make a conscious effort to to meet everybody and to have that opportunity to say i i touched you but i think that that's that to me is is one of the things that I'm in awe of is just how big Indian Market is. And not only our market, but then there's other markets and there's other people that are having an event. So when you really come to Santa Fe for our Indian Market, you really get a lot of experiences wherever you go. There are also indigenous fashion shows, cultural performances, and much more to see at the much anticipated event. Looking at what Swaya is doing um, in reference to Indian art, it really has been 
one that um, I feel the artists come to that with living culture and really share who they are and where they come from and how their art expresses that. Also, I think that the art that we're seeing um, really reflects on the times that we're at and, you know, we're known to record history through art and so you can definitely see that occurring. And then, of course, the competition and people just really excelling at their best and, and competing against one another in a very healthy way. So I think that there's lots of opportunities in that to see that and experience it from, from our culture perspective. The Santa Fe Indian Market takes place Saturday and Sunday in downtown Santa Fe. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we are live at the Santa Fe Indian Market. This is our second day of live broadcasts. We are here in the Santa Fe Convention Center in the Milagro Room, and there are sunny skies. It's shaping up to be a beautiful afternoon. This year's market is a special one, not only because it's the 100th year of the event, it's also the first fully open Indian market since before the pandemic. Thousands of indigenous artists and art lovers will fill these downtown plaza streets this weekend for a celebration of native creativity, story, and culture. We're talking with folks about the legacy and history of the Indian market today, and you can join us if you're an artist or a native art lover. What does the Indian market mean to you? What are some of your favorite market events? We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And once again, we are streaming this live. So go ahead and go to the Native America Calling Facebook page. We've got a Facebook Live broadcast coming at you, so you can watch this in real time in video as well as listening to the stream. I've got two guests to start off the show with. First, we have Dr. Suzanne Newman-Frick. She's the director of Gallery Hojo at Hotel Chaco in Albuquerque. Dr. Frick, welcome to Native America Calling. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. You bet, Suzanne. It's wonderful to have you. And we also have Amber Dawn Barrow with us as well. She's the Indigenous Fashion Show producer and an art history professor at the Institute of American Indian Arts. She's from the Siksika Nation, but she's based here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Amber Dawn, welcome back. Thank you so much. Well, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the history of the Santa Fe Indian Market. It is the 100th centennial. And let's start with you, Suzanne. Tell us, what was the inspiration 100 years ago to start this iconic event? 
That's a good question. Um, in my doctoral research, uh, I have a doctorate in art history, I had the opportunity to look through old archives, which of course only give you part of the story, so I can only give you that perspective. Around the turn of the century, uh, there was a lot of concern about the loss of what were considered traditional native arts, ceramics being key, but other ones as well, dance, embroidery, um, other forms. So there were many different approaches that were taken. Uh, teachers were sent out with varying degrees of success since they often tried to change the methodology of the, the, the potters. Um, what, what was attempted uh, at Indian Market that has made it so successful, that has made it have this longevity, is that they saw the key element as being the development of a marketplace, a marketplace that had buyers who were affluent enough to spend money, open to new ideas, open to learning new things. And it was that creation of the marketplace that I think has given it that 100 years of uh, life. Now, I understand the original Indian market, there was a, a big focus on Pueblo pottery. Yes, very good point, yes. In fact, so the original market was held as part of the Santa Fe Fiesta. So the Santa Fe Fiesta was uh, part of, uh, start, restarted in 1911 when the Museum of New Mexico director Edgar Lee Hewitt, who's a major figure in a lot of these things, a rather colorful character, he brought back the Entrada, which is of course a very mixed thing, the 1692 re-Entrada of uh, Spaniards to New Mexico. And by 1922, they decided to add a market. And now part of that was that a few years earlier, there were these two very interesting women, and they have a great story, Rose Dugan, who was from Pasadena, and Madame Vera von Blumenthal, sometimes spelled with two R's in the Vera, which I love. Uh, they were very interested in what they saw as women arts. They started with Russian lace. They would travel around Russia, bought a lot of lace, brought it back to Pasadena where they sold it. Then they moved to uh, San Ildefonso, uh, or near San Ildefonso, north of Santa Fe, uh, around 1917-1918. And they saw the pottery there, which of course was exquisite. Gorgeous things being made. Uh, that was when Maria and Julian were, were very active. And they, they immediately saw a product that they wanted to expose to a wider marketplace. And they, start, they, they tried different ways. They um, they worked with a museum. One, one attempt that they made was that they asked the people at the museum to go pick the finest pieces and then they would put a stamp on it, of uh, a seal of approval, a certificate of authenticity. That didn't really work so well. And they decided, why not have a centralized market in 1922? So they invited mainly the potters, but there were other, there, were, there was some embroidery there as well. Um, and that was really the start of Indian Market. 1922. Now, there was an organization, the New Mexico Association on Indian Affairs, and they were kind of the lead mm -hmm. entity that got the market going? Exactly. And they were involved in economic issues, health issues, art issues. And art was really seen as key to bringing more prosperity, bringing more money, um, helping people continue to live at the Pueblo so they didn't have to leave to take jobs elsewhere due to economic hardship. Now, Suzanne, in those early years of Indian Market, there was virtually no Native leadership involved in the event. Now, when did that begin to change? Not for a very long time. Not, for, not really until later in the 20th century. It was decidedly 
run by a, a small number of, of uh, people working at the museum, uh, and they did not uh, involve the native voices as, uh, to the extent that they should have been. And there was also some tension uh, towards some of the native vendors and the market itself from, from Santa Fe merchants and, mm -hmm. and, and the city at large as well. Yes, that's true. In fact, one other impetus for the market, one attempt that was made in the 19-teens was to bring pottery to the Museum of New Mexico and sell it there. Well, the vendors in the square were not that happy because it was competition. And um, so that was why they decided to localize it as a weekend marketplace. Now, in terms of the types of pottery and other artwork that was being presented in those early days, was there any native involvement in the judging of those pieces or the analysis or the critiquing? That's a very good question, and I'm sure you won't be surprised when I tell you. No, no, absolutely not. Um, in fact, uh, Kenneth Chapman, who worked at the museum, really spearheaded the judging. It's a fascinating series, set of criteria that he wrote them out, and they were very much based on ideas that come from... Um, art historical texts that date back centuries, that these old art treatises for non-native art, this idea of harmony, proportion, symmetrical, so symmetricality, should word, um, the, the, how, how well the paint has been applied, the shape of the pot. Um, in addition to those standards that were brought in, I don't think, I think they were this, a very basic set of criteria. They also wanted there to be differentiation between the Pueblos. They wanted San Ildefonso pots to look different from Acoma pots. Now, one interesting thing to note is in these early markets, there was a decided preference for painted ware. In fact, uh, Nambe, Picaris, Taos, uh, Pohake, they were left out of the early markets because their wares were largely unpainted. I think now we have a much greater appreciation for the sculptural beauty of a micaceous pot. So these early artists that were involved in the market, uh, these concepts you mentioned, the types of paints that were used, symmetry, these were gauges and metrics that were foreign to them. These were more European-based standards of what art should be. Mm -hmm. How did those early artists, the, the pottery makers and the others, how did they respond to these um, demands to make their art conform with mm -hmm. a more non-native indigenous profile? That's a good question. I mean, it's... it's 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 hard. I'm going to try not to oversimplify because it's 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 very complex. I'm sure the judges at the time, Chapman, would say, "Well, I talked to the potters. I looked at the pottery, so I was going by what they said." Um, but of course, there is an imposition of external aesthetics that was coming in. Um, I think there were several adaptations that certain types became more popular. Um, it's no surprise Maria Martinez kind of swept swept. But she swept the early the first market. Uh, her works were very very popular, and she won she won the grand prize, um, um, which was significant. She she was selling pots for um, whereas many pots were going for a dollar, maybe a dollar, maybe less. She was able to sell them for ten, fifty, even a hundred dollars. So it's not really a surprise that other potters potter started to emulate her style. Um, there. The, the, the pieces became a bit smaller, and that was in part due to the need for them to be transported from one place to another. Um, and there were, uh, they were, they became less utilitarian. 
Black on black wear, for example, is less watertight because it's fired at a slightly low, the, the firing uh, due to the reduction in the pottery in the fire uh, is a little lower. Um, so there were certain adaptations that sort of came in. I'm dying to say something. Yeah, absolutely, jump okay. in. Um, just in terms of Maria Martinez, she would actually sign other people's pottery because it would sell for more with Maria Martinez's name on, mm -hmm. on it. And then uh, and something else I want to say too is that the early years of what we now call Swai Indian Market, Native people, the artists, weren't invited. They were not allowed to be part of the actual market. And when we and Swai Market was was really founded by white anthropological visions and views and um, values of what Native art should look like, and that has definitely determined. And you still see those really strict um, categories and mm -hmm. uh, rules and. Uh, um, very strict, strict standards. Now, Swaya has definitely changed over the years, but you can still, when you read some of the standards that the judges have to look at today, it's, it, it, for one thing, it doesn't make um, jewelry, is only considered jewelry if it's made with silver and gold and stones. Mm -hmm. So bead, beaded and leather uh, jewelry, in terms of earrings, is not considered jewelry. Mm -hmm. But the, so it's it's so complex, but it really has all. It still stems from the white anthropological view of what native art is and what quality, authentic, original, true native art is, which is is uh, not real. That's Amber Dawn Bear Robe chiming in as Sorry. well with this camera. No, appreciate those insights, and that's shocking. So there are pots out there that have Maria Martinez's mm -hmm. name that are not yes. made by Maria Martinez. So FYI, I did not know that. Folks, we are going to have to take a break here shortly, but if you want to get on this conversation about the history of the Indian market, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be back right after this break. Language revitalization advocates are helping a resurgence of interest in tribes' written and spoken tongues. Some tribes are extending those efforts to visually impaired language speakers by merging their written language with Braille code. We'll hear about what it takes to bring the traditional written language to those who can't read the printed page. That's on the next Native America Calling. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Heart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strong Heart's Native Helpline. Welcome back to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and we're live at the 100th Santa Fe Indian Market. We'd like to hear from some listeners today. If you are headed in from out of town or out of state to attend this centennial event, tell us what you're most looking forward to. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also watch our show today on Facebook Live. Our website, we heard from Marge Kalama. She commented on our website yesterday who says, shout out to Sam Minkler, photo artist stationed at the market. Happy 100th birthday. Thank you, Marge, for that shout out. Tune into our Native America Calling social media. We'll be out and about this weekend posting for the market and other special events. And we're joined right now by Suzanne Frick and also Amber Dawn Bear Robe. And we're talking about the history of the market, 
from its early beginnings in 1922. And let's click ahead a little bit. Uh, I know the market went through some tough times during the Depression era into the 40s. Uh, and then when did things really start blowing up and we started really seeing increased attendance, a lot more exhibitors, a lot more showpieces, prize money started increasing. When did, when did we get to that point? So from 22 to 62, the market, uh, the Indian market was entirely Southwest-based. So it was mainly New Mexico tribes coming in. It was pretty small. It was mainly held under the portal, a few other stalls. It was in 1962 that NMAI became SWAYA, uh, and it began to expand. Um, they started to invite in artists from across the country, from native tribes uh, across the U.S., they started to increase the categories. And as Amber Dawn pointed out very uh, precisely, that these categories, um, they could have been, they, they have been very limiting. Um, and this attempt to categorize can stifle in its, in its attempt to, to grow it. So they, it's always been, a, they're, they're constantly reevaluating it. It is a problematic area that probably needs to be, that, that needs to be expanded. But it began to incorporate, you know, for instance, Northwest Coast artists from uh, artists from the East. It, it's uh, it, it's really began to grow, and that's when you see this explosion. And Canadian artists oh. were just allowed in quite recently oh. in the 100 years of Swaya Market. So, so um, so yeah, Canadian artists originally were not allowed to be part of it. So that's been within about the last 20 years or so. I don't know the exact date, but I'll say yes. Okay. Well, Amber Dawn, let's talk more. Let's click ahead now. It's 2022, 100th year celebration, a centennial, and now the market, it is huge. There's so much going on beyond just art and Southwestern artists. We've got, uh, yesterday we talked about the film shows that are going on. We've got a lot of actors and celebrities and directors. We've got some cultural awareness programs, some advocacy programs, and a big part of this getting all kinds of buzz is the Indigenous Fashion Show. So tell us about it. What's, what's going on? What are the details? Whew, there's a lot going on. Um, it, where do I start? Well, for one thing, what's happening tomorrow is the opening reception for Art of Indigenous Fashion at the Museum of Contemporary Native Arts, which is basically featuring uh, most of the designers on the runway. And they will be at the opening as well. So that's Mokna's II Museum of Contemporary Native Arts Museum. It's their 50th anniversary, and it's also the Institute of American Indian Arts 50th anniversary, 60th anniversary. Sorry. So lots of anniversaries going on. And um, the exciting thing is just all the designers are here. They're debuting uh, new collections that I haven't seen. We also have some exciting high-profile models, such as Ashley Collingbull, the first Indigenous woman to win uh, Miss Universe, as well as Amber Midthunder, the, the, the lead of the hit uh, movie Prey on Hulu, uh, 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 Jolene Matten and Kiowa Gordon of Dark Winds. So it, there's so much going on and so much excitement. And what I really love about what I'm seeing this year is the excitement of everybody coming back together and meeting. Because when we look at the history of Swaya, um, it, it, even though Native people weren't necessarily allowed in in the early years, it was still a time for people to gather and to be together, to see one another, and they haven't necessarily seen each other for like a year or more. And I just see this excitement back this year that I haven't seen for a while, just the excitement of everybody coming back and seeing one another, being fully open, being on the runway, attending these events. There's a buzz in the city that I just have not seen for a while, and it's fantastic. 
2020, the market had to go completely virtual yes. because of the pandemic. 2021, it was open in person, but it was limited. There were some restrictions. But this year, it is back yep. in full force. Full 100% force. we're going strong. So, Amber Dawn, fashion, when did it become such a big part of Indian market? Well, I would say that uh, fashion has always been a part of market. Um, when you look at people coming together and wearing their finest, and we also see everybody who comes to market um, who are are buying and collecting, they're also coming in blinged out in turquoise and silver, Jamie Okumas. So there's always been a fashion component. There was also the clothing contest, which has been going on. I don't know how long the clothing competition has been going on for. Um, and so to answer your question, I would say about 10 years ago, there, the fashion component just started to really grow. And I there's it's kind of really nuanced, layered reasons as to why, but there's also not one reason why. And it, there also, fashion has always been an integral component. It's just the outside world has all of a sudden really taken notice and the demand has grown. And the, the first fashion show was at Cathedral Park for Swaya. And it was, you know, I was given $200 and like, go, go produce a fashion show. And the next year, it was easily quadrupled in size of the audience. And so every year it's just grown, 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 big, 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 big. So there's many nuances and reasons as to why there's uh, this focus on native fashion. And I think it's fabulous. We're speaking with Amber Dawn Barrow, and she's telling us about the history of fashion in Indian Market and the fashion show. And she started the show with a $200 budget. That was the first show she did. And wow, has yeah. it grown from that time. Folks, we've already got a caller on the line. Morgan, listening in Red Lake, Minnesota on KOGB. Morgan, thanks for calling in. All right. Thank you for having me on. I just want, I've been in Indian Market since the mid-70s. I've been going there. I haven't been for many years. Uh, and uh I've won a lot of awards and things, and it's really helped my career because um, my sculpting is all I do for a living now. And it's just, I just wanted to uh, thank uh, Swaya for all the work they've done and all the times they've they've came through. And after I, I had a severe stroke, and after I got out of the hospital, I actually got to go uh, judge Indian Market uh, in 2005. And it was it was really a, a really good thing for me. It really helped me with my uh, my mindset to to just heal after learning how to walk and you know and move around, being able to get around after the stroke. So I just wanted to say that since I've seen it, the first year I was in Indian Market, I believe there was four sculptors in the whole show. And in, in the categories, we used to, used to have to go up against the Kachina dolls because they were considered sculpture as, as uh, wood sculpture. So we would either be stone, wood, or bronze sculpture, and that was it. So we'd be, we'd be competing against the Hopi wood carvers, which was kind of, <laughs> which was kind of uh, crazy. But I just, after all of these years and all the things I've seen, it's really been a good thing to hear it and see how big it's gotten. I was there during the the heyday, I should say, from the mid-70s to the late-80s when I was living there and producing work and being in Indian Market every year. So I just wanted to congratulate them on 100 years. And I've been going to school in Santa Fe since 1965. I went to the art school, and a bunch of us came out of the art school and just kind of took our art down to the plaza and asked if we could be in their show, and they would let, then they let some of us in. Morgan, thank you so much for calling in with all that background, all that history. 
going back to the, the 1960s, and, and it's interesting how you talk about uh, there weren't a lot of categories in those days, right? And some artists got kind of lumped together, and uh, it's great to know that there's so many more categories now, and, and pieces can be objectively viewed based on those metrics and what those categories are. Once again, that is Morgan listening in Red Lake, Minnesota on KOJB. Can I uh, just... Yeah, please, feel Mar free. Mar Morgan brought up some very good points. Thank you, Morgan. I also wanted, that just made me think of Swaya Market has really been a launching pad for the careers of major internationally acclaimed artists such as Roxanne Swensel, the list goes on, um, but also the Institute of American Indian Arts as well. Has, uh, both organizations have really been quintessential to launching the careers of um, amazing internationally acclaimed artists. So many, so many great names and legends in, in, the, in the world of Native American art uh, have their, can, can trace their roots to the Santa Fe Indian Market and also the Institute mm -hmm. of American Indian Arts. And, and I want to ask you, Amber Don, since you have such a wide range of knowledge about Indian Market and some of the different partners that participate, um, I think of Indian Market going back to 1922, IIA started in the 1960s, and, and since IIA came on the scene in the 1960s, going back what now almost 70 years, um, do the two organizations, um, do you think it's safe to say that they owe some of their success to each other? I would say that we support, because I work for both organizations, and there definitely is um, collaboration, there's communications, and partnership. Uh, last year, I, I actually sponsored the Indigenous Fashion Show, um, so we're always, in, and actually this year, there's a Lloyd Kivanew fashion show that's happening at the Bishop's Lodge, which is a partnership with IAI and Swaya. Um, so it, we're always in dialogue and support one another. What I will say is the rest of the city definitely rides on the coattails of Swaya. So you have all of, and you know, it's fantastic. The more, the merrier. But there really is, outside of Swaya market, quote, proper, there's all these other amazing, fabulous programmings, events, and artists, and exceptions, and uh, it really is because of Swine Market is bringing everybody here, and everybody else is capitalizing on it, which is fabulous, and that's just what makes the city so diverse and exciting during uh, Indian Market Week. And what, one thing to add to that is that the city profits greatly from Indian Market. It brings in so much outside money. I don't know if you, we were talking about this earlier, the price of hotels. The hotels here have doubled, tripled, even quintupled, uh, quadrupled their oh, prices. Yeah. Um, all the restaurants are full. It, it really brings so much business to, to the city. It's, it's called Indian markup. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Suzanne, when did that, when did it become the huge international uh, juggernaut that it is, this huge mm -hmm. driver of, of economics and, and whatnot that you're describing where we've got these, you know, big names, a lot of big players, you know, five hundred dollar hotel room. When did that really kind of come on the scene? I would say that it's actually the market has had a lot of ups and downs. Um, really, starting in '62 when it became Swaya, it started going up and up. I think, as the caller mentioned, in the '70s and '80s, a lot of big names were being shown. Um, that that uh, R.C. Gorman was coming in, a lot of big names. So that's when things started to get. Uh, it became more of an economic force. It's definitely gone up and down as with economics, with when there are downturns, when there are recessions, it, it hurts market. Um, but I think definitely starting um, in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, barring those downturns. And in the 80s it. and 90s, people, collectors would line up at mm -hmm. people's booths 
waiting for them first to open. Thing, yeah. First thing, yeah, I remember that. Lining up just to, and you know, someone like Roxanne Swenson would be sold out, done, market within the first hour. Yeah, I remember the year that Nora Noron Home Horse introduced her Perlene figures. I think I was there at 6 a.m. Not a single one left for sale. They were all on, on Saturday morning. One of my family relations uh, is a really good silversmith from Okawenge, Morrison Bird Romero. And he was one of those types. Mm -hmm. They just come, money in hand, they're looking mm -hmm. for his booth, sold out by yep. lunchtime, mm -hmm. first day. We've got another guest on our show right now. She just stepped up to the mic, Kristen Gentry. She is an artist, photographer, writer, and curator. And we've been talking all about the history, 1922, uh, 1960s, 1980s. But this is actually Kristen's first time presenting at the Santa Fe Market. She's from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She lives in Oklahoma City. Kristen, welcome to Native American Calling. And can I say she has fabulous glasses? Yeah. <laughs> we need to be glasses sisters here. <laughs> I've seen a lot of pink on the panel today. Yep, the Barbie. That's, that's all the rave right now. Well, Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. So how does it feel, first time in the market? Uh, I'm really excited, um, definitely nervous. Um, never done it as an artist before. Um, I've been involved for years covering the photographs of fashion designers, um, and then following that, uh, going from the plaza with the Lucy Marks Clothing Complex, and then going over to Kristen Center for the runway shows. And I've just worked um, with that, um, like developing those relationships between like the models and the designers, working through that. And then I've just been so supported um, throughout my artist career um, as a painter and a printmaker. I'm, I'm sorry, and Kristen. I'm sorry. All right, we lost sound. You... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just saying that I have just always been so supported um, as an artist. Pretty much every year I was in the market, um, artists um, like other Southeastern artists like uh, Bobby Martin, you know, they would always encourage me, you know, to apply, apply. And I kind of always just got so absorbed in, like, almost supporting and, like, um, photographing, cheerleading my, all my friends and um, other artists. And uh, you okay. Also, oh, Chris, I'm sorry, but we're still having trouble hearing you. So I'm going to have to go ahead and switch. We'll come back to you, though, for sure. We're going to learn a lot more about your story. Can I say okay. <laughs> I always have a lot to say. Okay. Um, just when you were talking, it just reminded me, in terms of your question earlier about fashion, Fashion has always been a part before there was runways in terms of there'd be guerrilla style uh, fashion shows happening within market. So it really is not anything new. And people have been working in indigenous fashion and clothing like for eons. Um, so uh, and you're you're one of the people who's part of that. Thank you. That is Kristen Gentry, folks. She's a new entry to Santa Fe Indian Market. Unfortunately, we're having some audio difficulties, so we did not get all of Kristen's interview, but we're definitely going to bring her back once we get our engineering squared away. Amber Dawn, talking more about fashion, uh, there's also an exhibit, Art of Indigenous Fashion, that you are curating. That's part of Indian Market as well. Give us the details. Um, Art of Indigenous Fashion, there's over uh, 30 artists that are represented and highlighted, and it's really looking at kind of the history, starting with Lloyd Kivenu and Kay Bennett, but then also uh, featuring some of the, the hottest artists um, and designers today. And so I'm looking, the, the exhibition is focusing on fashion, but also wearable art, if that makes sense. So they're um, an art artists who have primarily first started their careers as visual artists and then have really merged into fashion and merging their artistic sensibility in terms of a visual artist into the fashion. And most of the most of the designers are going to be here and at the opening reception. So very exciting. 
Now, Amber Dawn, where can our listeners go to learn more about this exhibit, the fashion shows, all these events related to fashion here at Indian Market this year? They can go to ii.com and um, look for the museum link and then swaya.org slash fashion. And, uh, yeah, they can also just give me a call. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are talking about this year's Indian Market 2022. It's the centennial, 100 years of the Santa Fe Indian Market. We've got three guests on our show right now. Dr. Suzanne Newman-Frick, she's given us some history. We've got Amber Dawn Bear-Robe, she's giving us a lot of history as well, telling us all about fashion, other events coming up here at Indian Market. She also is a professor at the Institute of American Indian Arts, so she's able to give us some insight on IEIA as well. And of course, we have Kristen Gentry. She's a first-time exhibitor here at the Santa Fe Indian Market, and we're going to be really excited to talk more about her work on the other side of this break. So folks, if you want to give us a call, phone lines are open. We're going to be back right after this short break. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at 1-888-ART-FAKE. Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. This is Native America Calling. I am Sean Spruce. As the largest Native art show in the world, the Santa Fe Indian Market has a major influence on Indigenous creativity and representation. If you're an artist sitting in your booth this year, or you come from a family of artists who have shown here for generations, call in and tell us what the Santa Fe Indian Market means to you. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And of course, we've got the Facebook Live feed going as well, so you can watch us on video. We're having a great time here chatting with our guests and let's go back to Kristen Gentry. Earlier, we had a little bit of challenges with our audio, but we've got her on the line now. She's here right here talking with us. She's got a beautiful pair of pink glasses. She's styling. She's ready to go. She's rocking, repping the native fashion. And she's uh, from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She lives in Oklahoma City. Kristen, when did you get into Santa Fe? Um, I came in Tuesday night so that I could um, be here Wednesday by 1 o'clock. That was my time for to enter my competition pieces for 2D art. I have watercolor paintings, acrylic, and then I have a woodblock relief piece that I entered for competition, and I'll have all of those as well um, in the booth. So this is your first year at Indian Market. Was it tough to get into the market this year for you? Um, I think it's tough every year for every artist, even if they've done it before. You have to continually work at your craft. You have to continually um, have um, great photographs, um, work on your artist statement, um, just always continuing. Um, and continuing to grow as a Native artist and showing the world, um, like taking that representation that we have across media and me being a Southeastern artist, I work really hard to show that we don't all look, um, our art does not all look uh, Navajo or Pueblo. Um, and so I really love that Swaya is inclusive of all of us across the country. That's kind of one of my own like personal things about my art. Um, I also work at the First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City, so that's something that goes all the time. We are constantly um, educating about that we are all different tribes, that um, people today still don't even know we have different languages. Um, 
So all of that um, is always like in my mind and in my heart as I'm creating art and how can I use my art to speak that and um, use it as a starting point. Um, so for me, my art is very um, geometric pattern based and then floral. I have a lot of florals. I'm a gardener and I do a lot of ancestral seed gardening. Uh, so I typically work with the blooms and I look at those organic shapes and I work with the organic shapes um, and they kind of like look chaotic as I'm creating them and then I push them into um, formed floral shapes and then um, I'm replicating our dance patterns, our life cycle patterns, the seed growing patterns and circles. Um, so that's definitely prevalent in my art and I love to work in the different mediums. They all um, like speak to you different ways. They, uh, you can manipulate them in different ways. So I like to be able to go from printmaking uh, to do watercolor and then not always doing watercolor on paper, doing that on canvas, trying different experiments and different ways to um, show, I guess, the world, show media, show that uh, we are still here from the Southeast, that even through Indian removal, even through all of our language loss, that we're not just living, we are thriving, we are creating the future for um, our own cultures and along like with all of our other cultures that surround us, um, like me coming from mound building cultures. Um, that's also that iconography is always important to me. Um, it's always important um, when I'm uh, showing work because a lot of the images, people will see those type of symbols and often They'll, like, they'll reference it to other cultures, those indigenous designs, um, again, like a circle, like that circular movement, the dance, um, that just comes uh, like from within us, and it's always been there. We come everything out of the earth, so I just love to keep that in my work, and I love to be able to support that, um, and I've just been so um, encouraged by all of my uh, other Southeastern artist friends that are in the show. They've been in for years. Uh, my mentor, uh, Benjamin Harjo, uh, just to go do it. <laughs> it's very scary. Um, you hear a lot of like of how difficult it is to get in to market. Um, and it is, it's, there's very high standards and then there's very high standards for the competition pieces. And um, going through that process was really um, interesting because I had never juried in such a large show before for competition. and. Uh, seeing what everyone was entering and then looking at, like um, Amber was talking about, we had to look through all of the different categories and I had to see specifically um, like transparent watercolor. <laughs> you have to find like categories, divisions. There's just so much um, that you wouldn't know if you'd never done it. And I'm just uh, so excited to be able to bring uh, my culture here and um, just, I don't know, like give the, uh, give the voice uh, for all of our people that didn't have that option for so long and um, show how important what we are doing today is. It's, it's great to have you here, Kristen. Again, congratulations on you being here. First year in the Santa Fe Indian market, Kristen Gentry. Now, Kristen, had you applied in previous years? I actually hadn't. This is my very first time so to apply. <laughs> you just nailed it right off the bat. You just came in and, and just got it done. Yeah. Uh, give you more props for that, for sure. Now, you mentioned earlier making sure you've got your, your photographs and your portfolios in order. What other tips and advice can you give other aspiring artists that dream of one day being in an Indian market as well? Okay. Um, for pretty much any market, really, look at the application, and you want to remove any type of technical reason to ever not be accepted. Like, 
poor quality, uh, how you label your images. Do it exactly like how Swaya says. Do your file names how they want them. Don't do things that are going to immediately eliminate you that has nothing to do with your quality of work. So then if you do get a denial, then you know, okay, I need to work harder on my work. It, it wasn't because I have poor photographs or I didn't submit enough or I submitted the wrong kind or something. Um, and have always have critique going, um, have a trusted mentor, have people that are going to encourage you to keep creating, keep pushing those ideas, um, and helping you support your voice while you help support theirs. Always I, I also have to say images are so important because you have to, have to think you have a plethora of judges and they are really going by what the images are that have been sent in. So mm -hmm. the images are really like hire a photographer, professional mm -hmm. photographer to take images of your work. That's Amber John uh, speaking in again, joining us. And Amber John, Kristen talking about uh, how hard it is to get into, into the market and how, how excited she is to be here. And, and some of all these big names that we're talking about who have their, their roots here in the market. Is it safe to say that to, to be a serious Native American artist today, to, to be one of these top tier artists, does an appearance uh, at Indian Market, is that like a must have on a resume? Does everybody pretty much at some point have to come to market? Do all roads lead to Indian Market <laughs> for indigenous artists? That's what I'm trying to say. All roads lead to Swaya Indian Market. Um, well, yes and no. I, um, it, you know, because when we look at indigenous arts, we're looking we're looking at Canada and the United States. Um, the presence of Swaya isn't actually as large in Canada as uh, we're definitely in a Southwest bubble. So all lead, all all roads do lead to Swaya Market, but it's a matter of uh, I know that the goal of or one of the directions Kim wants to go, the the director is to expand market to really have a global presence. So that includes really expanding first into Canada. And beyond, um, but if, but yes, all okay. roads lead to market. So global presence could that mean at some point in the future we could see Pacific Islanders in Indian market? We could see uh, Australian Aboriginal artists in that, market. That is definitely the long term goal, and I shouldn't speak for Kim, so I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, how does your? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Susan. If I could just add really quickly, I, I did serve as a judge for ceramics at Swaya a few years ago, and. Um, I've been a judge before, and, and what I, I just want to second what Kristen and Amber Dawn said. Quality images, following directions. I would also put in, make sure that anything written about your work, your artist statement, your bio, make sure that you hire someone if you have to. Make it really clean. Mm -hmm. Make it really uh, cogent. And there are people out there who can help. And, but it, it doesn't help your case if your bio or your artist statement leads somebody in the wrong direction or if it's poorly written. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more also about um, authenticity, because that's been an issue as well in all Indian arts and crafts. And I know that in 1978, the state of New Mexico amended its arts and crafts law to ensure the authenticity of handmade Native American pieces that were in the show and other events as well. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Suzanne, what led up to that event to have to really crack down on, on those types of, you know, because there was stuff coming in that was not... Appro yeah, appropriation, stuff and, that and was not authentic, genuine. Shady markets. I, I mean, sadly, you see this all the time. It is not new. It is something that has been, as, as, as soon as Native arts became profitable, fakes came in. Um, there, You will still see places that will sell baskets that are clearly from Africa, Indonesia, um, 
which is not bad. They have their own market, but labeled as Native American. Borrowing images, you'll see the man in the maze, you'll see the wedding basket being replicated in um, materials that clearly don't come from the area. Um, it, it's a real problem even today with jewelry. There's a lot of jewelry being produced in Indonesia and uh, coming in and being sold as Native American. That's the problem, the mislabeling. Okay. Yeah, you just have to go to Swaya Plaza. You can get a lot of that. Everdon, <laughs> <laughs> what does Indian Market do now to ensure that that doesn't happen here at Indian Market? Basically, every, uh, every artist has to give their, quote, credentials, so whether it's their status card from Canada or the, um, the number, I'm not sure, what is the? The CDIB for yeah, the, the I'm from Canada. So, in yeah. so it, it's, you just have to basically have the credentials, which can be problematic because there are um, full Indigenous artists who just, it's, it's complicated, I don't want to go down that road, but there are full, fully Indigenous artists who don't have that, quote, stamp of approval from the government. So when we talk about appropriation and blood, that's a whole, that, that we could have a whole day talking about that. And of course, I mean, the problem of artists who are pretending to be native right. and being shown, I think there was just the number of shows that come out. And then once it gets more and more entrenched, the more they show, the more people write about them following that yes. misrepresentation, Absolutely. the more it becomes um, something that people consider to be a fact. Yeah, Absolutely. Folks, we're talking with three people here at the Santa Fe Indian Market, the Centennial, and we're learning a lot about the history of the Santa Fe Indian Market. We're learning about the, the jury process for how works are submitted. We're learning about how artists apply to the Indian Market. We're learning about, a lot about the history and how it was formed and, and how it's evolving in recent years. And there's still time to join our conversation. So if you want to get a call in, you can squeeze one in. We've got our producer standing by. 1-800-99-NATIVE, that is the number to call. You can also connect with us through social media. We've got our Facebook set up. We've got our Instagram. We've got all the channels going, all the platforms, and we would love to hear from our listeners, all of our fans out there to comment and join us. Amber Dawn, what's in the works for the fashion show uh, this year specifically? Uh, and in terms of what are you looking for in the future, how are you hoping to evolve and grow the fashion portion of Indian market in the years to come. Well, this year we have two full fashion shows on Saturday and Sunday. They are both 100-foot um, runways and both two different set of designers. Uh, so the the goal is to have a Swaya Fashion Week. Uh, that that is because Toronto they have the Indigenous Toronto Fashion Week, Vancouver Fashion Week, and they actually uh, their fa their fashion week started after Swaya Indigenous Fashion. And so we're, I feel like SWAI is kind of behind the ball here in terms of we need to have a SWAI Fashion Week now. But it's not going to happen next year because that's a lot of work, a lot of money, and right now it's a one-man team. Well, let's hope you have more than a $200 budget yes. to make that happen, right? <laughs> Kristen, getting ready for market, I hear about artists that pretty much just lock themselves in a studio for six months and just crank out the work. What all does it take to get a, a full portfolio, a full collection of of works together to prepare and be ready for a show like this? Um, you definitely have to be willing to not sleep for about six months. <laughs> Very true. Um, so I'm a single mother and I work full time. I don't work full time as an artist. Um, I have in the past, I don't right now. And so that is a lot of time where I'm creating art. Um, sometimes I'm sitting on the floor with my daughter, she's six, and we're painting together and I'm working on pieces. Um, and it's really interesting to look at her work. Um, I can see where I've definitely influenced her as an artist um, and drawing those like southeastern designs, beautiful. Um, so you just have to 
make the time if that's something important to you. An artist will do it. Um, I know a lot of artists procrastinate. Um, a good side of anxiety. I have anxiety, so I tend to not procrastinate because that freaks me out too much. So <laughs> I'm kind of opposite than most artists on that. Um, it's just trying to work on it every single day and do something that I really love because if it's if I don't love it, then I feel like nobody else would love it. So. Now, about how many shows and other art events do you take place or do you participate in each year? Um, when non-pandemic, um, when I do, I can do dozens of like local gallery shows throughout Oklahoma. Um, I also do uh, shows with the Chickasaw Nation, like CSAM, Cherokee Art Market, um, Artesian. So I do all the ones that we have there close by. Um, our local tribes are supportive. CSAM is nice because it's an, a show just for like Southeastern artists. Um, so those are the shows I do there. I also curate. Um, I curated a show this year called Indigenous Gender Identity. Um, and it was a very powerful show. Um, it was in Tulsa, right next to the area where the race massacre occurred from 1921. Mm -hmm. um, so that part of Tulsa, um, it was really needed. Um, and I got to talk about um, just like the history of, you know, Indian removal to there, and then how everybody has a different um, indigenous gender identity and what that means for each tribe, each person, um, and how that's reflected in their art. And it was just really beautiful to see um, everybody from the Two-Spirit LGBTQIA community come that weren't even Native, and they were just so happy to have a place that was safe for them, that they felt supported. And we have a lot of Two-Spirit or... Um, uh, non-binary, uh, LGBTQIA artists, but you may not always see that reflected in art or their art. Um, so I also try to include that in my iconography as well, and I love to support that for youth um, and give them something um, to see that our two-spirit part of our culture um, is still important today and um, bringing that back into where our culture had it before colonization. Well, folks, unfortunately, that's about all the time we have. We're going to have to wrap it up. So I want to thank our guest today, Suzanne, Amberdon, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing so much great information about the 100th Santa Fe Indian Market. And if you're one of the many people that's traveling to the 100th Santa Fe Indian Market, please, please have a safe trip. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Joe McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves-Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Everybody have a great weekend. My name is Asad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is, find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication. And I'm thankful for every day we have together because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. First baby, don't know where to start? CMS programs cover prenatal services. Enroll today.
contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Elahqua. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.